Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Memorial Day at Cornerstone Church. Good to have everybody here. Just want to say welcome to our Facebook Live friends who are out there. A lot of people are traveling, and we hope they're tuned in to see us this morning. So great to have you here online. Love technology. My name is Gary Majestic. I'm one of the elders here at Cornerstone. It's my privilege uh, to serve you and to be one of the leaders um, in the church here for a number of years. And Pastor Jody asked me a few months ago to uh, speak today. I didn't really realize that the dates when we talked about were Memorial Day, but I think it's really, really appropriate um, that we would come together um, on a day like this. And you see a video like that, um, really makes you stop. And like Pastor uh, Stephen was saying about taking communion, how we need to stop and pause and remember. It's the same thing we need to do on Memorial Day. Um, it's a day unlike Veterans Day where we honor everybody who's served or is serving, has served. But today, Memorial Day weekend is the ones where we honor those who have died in service to our country. You know, I went back and I wanted to find out, I didn't really know how many people had actually died in battles for our country. I think we've got a slide that shows um, how many um, wartime deaths. I was always surprised by how few in the Revolutionary War. I would have thought it was more. Uh, but you look at the Civil War, almost a half a million people in our country died fighting each other. Um, and what a shame that is. And you look at the Second World War, and that's just our country alone, 400-some thousand. How many millions of people uh, were killed in that war as well? So it's a time when we need to pause and reflect and honor those who have made that ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus made a sacrifice so that we could be free. These people have made a sacrifice of their own life. You know, there's a verse in John, John 15, 13. It says, Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And I think these people who laid down their life didn't even know us. There are people who laid down their life so that we could remain free as a country. Our country is so much different than everybody else. We're the great experiment um, compared to everybody else. You know, throughout most of history, people have been governed by kings or rulers or dictators or somebody else uh, who's told them what to do. And in our country, we get to govern ourselves. Uh, we get to tell the politicians, our leaders, what we want them to do. It's getting tougher and tougher to do that, um, but that's what our government is supposed to be, self-governed. So today what I'd like to do um, is talk just a little bit about Memorial Day and then want to transition into a little bit of history because I want to talk about the freedoms that these people fought and died for. Now, there's some really neat uh, Memorial Day traditions. I read about one this week that they have at Arlington National Cemetery. I don't know, maybe you're familiar with this or not, or if you've ever been there. How many of you have been to Arlington Cemetery? A lot of people have been to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it's really a moving experience when you go there and see. Some really close friends of ours I know were in the Cartersville National Cemetery last yesterday, I believe, and they had the flags all set out and everything there. I think it's really neat they took their kids there to see that. But at Arlington National Cemetery, on every Thursday before Memorial Day, it's called Flags Inn, and I think it's really neat because they take flags, and there's 245,000 graves in Arlington National Cemetery, 200, almost a quarter million people that have died for our country, graveside there, and they, it's the, um, the U.S. Army, the 3rd Infantry Regiment that does that. They call themselves the Old Guard, and they've been doing this, and there's a 1,000 soldiers that come out 
and they put a flag in front of every single headstone that's in Arlington National Cemetery. I think the cool thing about it, too, is that they do it with such precision. There's only one soldier per row because they want to make sure that the flags are all uniformly put in front of the, uh, the headstones. They've got to be perfectly in the middle, and they put their boot, and they put it a boot length away from each one. And I think that's really neat, and I think what's important in that is that every person in there, whether a general, a major, a corporal, or a private, get that same honor, and I think that's really neat. If you went this Thursday, didn't realize, but after I checked back on there, I said they showed a picture of President Trump and his wife were there, and they were putting a flag there. But as they were putting the flags in this week, a big storm rolled through Arlington Cemetery, and everybody scattered. All the, the people who were there to watch scattered. Um, everybody else scattered out except the soldiers kept putting the cross or the uh, flags in. If you go online, I don't have the picture this morning, but go online and look and look it up. But it shows a, a soldier in the, in the gosh, I can hardly get through this stuff. It just it tears me up inside because we don't, we kind of forget, we don't pay attention or we don't go back and remember these people. But it shows a soldier kneeling down and putting the flag in the tomb of the unknown soldier there. It's really neat. You've got to go back and see that. So um, I've got to move on because I will just... But I guess what I want to talk about today is, is why did these people die? What made them give their lives up for us? Well, it's for freedom, isn't it? One of the things that I think is really, really important is our freedom of religion. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is our freedom of religion, what these people died, what they gave their life for so that we were free to worship as we choose. So where does it come from? Everybody's heard of freedom of religion. I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson today. And then we're going to do some current events, and then we're going to have what can you do uh, with that, okay? So we're going to be a little bit of a teaching here this morning. So um, before we start on that, though, I want to go back. There's a verse in 1 Kings chapter 18 I'd like you to turn to. 1 Kings 18 talks about the story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And um, what was going on at that time, and everybody... uh, was either worshiping God or they were worshiping Baal. They had a lot of false gods at that time. And in verse 20, oh gosh, I get my glasses on here. Verse 21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. I don't want to be like those people. I don't want to be ones who didn't say anything. And we're at a point in our history, in our country here, that if we don't stand up and say something, we're about to be steamrolled by people who don't agree with the same things you do um, here today. There's churches all over our country today that are gathering together uh, to worship God, and there are people who would come against us in that. So I don't want to be people that don't say anything. I want you to keep a mark in that passage, put a, a mark or something. We're going to come back to that later. Um, a little bit of a history lesson. Where does our freedom, our right to religious freedom come from? I want to start with the Declaration of Independence. How many of you heard of the Declaration of Independence? Okay, everybody. Good. So it says in the Declaration of Independence at the beginning, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
You know, our founding fathers had a lot of reasons that they decided to break from England and become their own independent country. And the Declaration of Independence was a list of those reasons. There were economic reasons. There were um, social reasons. There were a lot of other things that were going on at that time. But one of the main reasons that they wanted to break from England was because they wanted to have freedom of religion. They wanted to be free to worship. They didn't want to have, as in England, where King George was also the head of the government, he was the head of the church. They didn't want that. They wanted to be out from underneath that kind of authority. They didn't want that. They wanted to have where they could worship freely however they wanted to. So I think this is the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. And I think what we look at, where do we get our rights from? It says we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Endowed by our Creator. That means we have natural rights. Every single person has rights that are given to us by God, not given to us by a government, uh, not given us by any leader or any other authority. We have our rights directly from the Creator Himself. There's a reason they put that in there. You know, you hear a lot of times that, well, maybe all the founding fathers weren't Christians, and maybe they weren't, and maybe they didn't all follow the same, um, the same sort of walk with the Lord. But I believe that when you go back and you read and you see this, the majority, most of them, must have been, or they wouldn't have put it this way. Um, so we get our rights from a creator, certain inalienable rights. What does that mean, inalienable? Inalienable means they're impossible to take away or to give up. Nobody can take those rights away from us. The one that God has given us, nobody can take away from us. And we can't give them up ourselves. They're God-given. They're inside of us. They're, they're rights to, what are they, life? liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want to, before we go on, I want you to make sure you catch that first part, that it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because that's going to be very important as we look at current events nowadays. Um, that. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want you to remember that as well, because that's going to come up in current events later on too. But God, the only distinction that God had when he made us, the only important distinction he had was male and female. He didn't say, I'm going to make them white, brown, blue, green, uh, long hair, short hair, no hair. Um, He didn't make any of those distinctions. The only thing that was important to God was that he made them male and female. Genesis, the next chapter in chapter 2, says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God breathed life into us. He breathed those rights. He breathed everything that we're about, the freedom that we have, he breathed into us. It's God-given. Our rights are God-given. Our Founding fathers thought the same thing. That's why they put it in the Declaration of Independence. So the next document that we want to look at, history-wise, is the U.S. Constitution, because that spells out what our rights are. How many of you know that the first ten amendments to the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights? And we're going to look at the First Amendment to the Constitution. And I think, again, it's important in the placement of these things. It's the first one that they decided to put in there. The Congress still makes no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
goes on to talk about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right to assemble together. Um, five different things in there. But the very first one was freedom of religion. And again, there's a reason they put it that way. Because that's our first and most important right that we have is freedom of religion. If we don't have that, all those other things don't matter. If our first right is taken away, they'll take the rest of them away as well. So that's the most important thing. There's a reason they put it that way um, in, the, in the Constitution. You go back and you start to look at some of the history of why they did that. And again, I, t- I mentioned briefly about the, the church in England was also very powerful. It was the government. It was the, the, the church. When the colonies came over there, they also established sometimes they had a church, a, a, not a state church. They weren't states yet, but they had a, a, a formal church that was um, in charge of things. And if you weren't part of that church, you couldn't run for office in that uh, colony. Or you couldn't hold an office in there or you maybe couldn't hold property in those areas. So it was very important back then. It's a lot different than it is today. Um, so the founding fathers were hesitant to give that power to the federal government. So that's why they made it that way. They said Congress shall make no laws. Pretty specific, not that Congress shall not do anything. They, they will make no laws uh, prohibiting that. Um, You've heard about, how many of you heard about a wall of separation between church and state? How many of you heard of that? You hear that a lot in the news today, too, or a lot of court cases. You hear that there's a wall of separation between the church and the state. Well, back then, the original intent of the, of the framers of the Constitution was that they didn't want the state to establish a national church. Totally different than what we hear about today. They didn't want the government to tell us how we had to worship, what church we had to belong to. They wanted to have a, to be free to worship wherever and however they wanted to do. So that's why they put this in the, in the Constitution in the First Amendment. Uh, you hear a lot of things. If you go back and read, you're going to hear some things. Thomas Jefferson, he really wasn't a Christian and this, that, the other thing. Um, and there's a lot of different views about that. I don't know because he's not here to interview, so we don't know. Um, but... When you look at the writing, what they put down, it makes sense that they believed in that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put it first. So they don't want the government to establish the church. Uh, So the wall of separation, where did that come from? It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. So why do we talk about it today? Why is it used more and more in court cases? Well, it came from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Baptists. The Baptists in Connecticut were upset because there was a congregational church that was the official church of Connecticut, and they felt that they were being discriminated against, that their rights were being abridged because they weren't part of that congregational church. So they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. In fact, several letters to Thomas Jefferson. He wrote back to them, encouraged them that the government wasn't going to be involved, that they were going to have freedom of religion, And in that letter, he said, there's a wall of separation between church and state. What he meant, I believe, at that time was not that the church shouldn't be involved in government, but that government shouldn't be involved in the church. And today we have that all backwards. You hear over and over again that they don't want the church to be involved in any kind of public display and any kind of uh, government function. They want to take the church out of all that thing. But that's not what the original intent was. 
They wanted to keep the government out of the church. I think it's important to realize that. So, we get our rights from a creator. We have a constitution which allows us to have freedom of religion. Part of that in that first one, they said that the state will not establish one and that they can't stop us from exercising. It's called an establishment clause and a free exercise clause, two different things that kind of come into conflict. So that's where our history lesson is. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about current events. How does that affect us today? That was, what, 240-some years ago. What does that mean for us today um, as citizens in this country here? Well, if you know some of the court cases that have been going on now, and when I started this a few weeks ago, I didn't realize how much things would change. I don't realize how much they changed in the last 25 years. I didn't realize how much they would change last week um, and what happened. If you've been following the news, and I think it's important, and a lot of people say, well, I don't like to watch the news because I just don't like all the fighting, everything that's going on. I'm going to tell you that you need to know what's going on because there are people on the other side who are fighting against what you believe and are willing to take away the free rights that you have. And again, I'm going to say we at Cornerstone Church welcome everybody into this building. We, rec- we welcome everybody into our fellowship here. But there are certain things that we believe that are based on the Bible that we can't go against. And I think you're going to find more and more that people are going to come against us as Christians. So I want you to be prepared. I want you to be aware of what's going on. 1962, there was a court case in New York that basically said that outlawed uh, prayer in schools. I think you all know that's from 1962. It's been a long time now. They took prayer out of school, basically said you couldn't have it in a public school. Um, went on, and again, we're, we're fairly tolerant of uh, Christian, I don't say activity, Christian symbols in the, in the public sphere up until the early 90s. And there were some court cases that came along where they had kind of a, um, uh, curtailed some of the rights of some people. Well, in 1993, they passed the, it's called the, um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It was in 1993. I don't know if maybe some of you have heard that. Um, it basically restored and kind of reiterated again the rights that we have and the important things that we have. It said that you couldn't be um, discriminated against because of your beliefs or anything else. I think some of the interesting things about this, and this is 1993, and listen to the title of this, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It was introduced in the House of Representatives by then-Congressman Chuck Schumer of New York. It was introduced in the U.S. Senate by Ted Kennedy, senator from Massachusetts. When they voted on this, in the House of Representatives, they didn't even need to take a vote. It was unanimous. By voice vote, they passed it. In the Senate, it passed 97 to 3. So almost unanimous in 1993, our Congress reemphasized the importance of your right to religious freedom, 1993. That's, what, a little over 25 years ago. Um, A lot has happened. I'm going to tell you a couple cases this morning uh, that I think are really, really important and have some um, relevance to us today. First one, there's a public high school football coach out in Washington State by the name of Joe Kennedy who, after every game, 
went out to the middle of the field, knelt down, and said a silent prayer for about 15 seconds by himself. Didn't make his team go out with him, didn't encourage him to go out or require him to go out and do that, but he did that every game for, I think, about eight or nine years. Well, finally, one time in, it was 2014, somebody decided they didn't like that. They didn't think he should be praying out in the field. So they went to the school board and told him that they didn't think that was appropriate. school board went to him and said, you need to stop praying. He said, well, I'm not going to. He said, well, you need to. And he said, no. And he, so he kept doing it, went back to him. They came back. The school officials came back to him again and said, you have to stop praying. He said, I won't do it. You'll have to fire me. He said, okay, you're fired. Now, go back and think of what he did. He silently prayed by himself in the middle of a football field. Now, at that time, by then, some of, the, some of his team came out with him, some of the opposing team, some of the opposing coaches gathered around and prayed with him because that's just what they did. But he never forced them to do that or asked them to come out and do it. Well, he filed suit in federal district court saying that that was a, a they took away his right of religious expression, religious freedom. District court ruled for him and told the school that they'd have to put him back into his job. Well, he, they appealed it, went to the federal uh, court of appeals in the ninth, the ninth district, which is out in California, a very liberal district. And they reversed that and said, no, he should be fired because he's not allowed to do that. The reason, and this is what I think is really, really important, and get this, because the reason that they said that he should not be allowed to do that, he was in a public school, he was on a public football field, and even though no, he never uttered a word and nobody ever heard him utter a word, the students could see him. They could see him praying or see him with a knee. They didn't even know what they could see him doing that. What, is, what implications does that have for us? I'll just we'll take it from teachers or coaches. If you have a Bible on your desk or if you're wearing a cross around your neck, uh, where does that kind of thing stop? Um, he's since appealed that. It came up to the Supreme Court in February this year. They've sent it back to the district court to find some more facts. So that is ongoing. But that's the kind of things that are coming against religious freedom right now because the students could see him. That was the reason that he needed to be fired. The second one, um, I think it's when I heard you guys sing this song, um, but when I see the cross, I see freedom. Um, I knew this was the right thing to put in here because I didn't know you guys were going to play that song. Um, there's a place in Blandensburg, Maryland. It's about five miles out of D.C., five miles from the Supreme Court. Stephen probably knows where it's at. Um, in 1925, after World War II, they erected a cross in the middle of town, a cross to honor 49 soldiers who'd been killed in World War I. It's right in the middle of town. Been there for, what, almost 100 years going on. Well, about five years ago, an atheist group, um, I love the names of these things too, the American Humanist Association, um, decided that they were going to file suit that they wanted the cross taken down because it was a religious symbol on public property. The only thing on this cross was a plaque on the bottom that had the names of all the soldiers. It was in the shape of a cross, didn't have Jesus on there, didn't have anything about the Lord on there. But they said that since it was on public property, even though it was erected by a, a private group at that time, um, that it needed to go. The district court 
um, said no, it didn't have to go. It really wasn't. There was another purpose for it. It wasn't just a cross, a religious cross. It was a war memorial as well. They appealed that to the Federal Appeals Court, who reversed that and said no, it had to come down because anybody who looked at that would realize that that's the government promoting Christianity because it's in the shape of a cross. So that has since been uh, taken to the Supreme Court earlier this year. They heard oral arguments. You're going to hear the decision in that case coming out over the next month. It'll come out in June sometime. And I think that's really, really important because what does that say for everything else, all the other crosses that are around? Um, we're going to have to tear down everything um, that's standing out there. And I think some of the interesting thing of what they said that um, they gave some alternatives. Instead of taking it down, maybe we could just cut off the sides. We'll just make it a pole. And that would be okay. It wouldn't look like a cross anymore, and that wouldn't offend anybody. Um, can you imagine all the crosses around the country if we just took off and made it a, a single pole? I like what they said, too. The atheist group said that um, we're really not interested in seeing it torn down. We're interested in seeing it move to an appropriate venue, like a religious institution or a house of worship. So they want to tell you where you can put a cross. It has to be in an appropriate venue. The reason I'm telling you this is that look at the wording that they have in there, or a house of worship. You're going to hear this more and more, and you're starting to hear this, that we have a freedom of worship. A freedom of worship is completely different from a freedom of religion. A freedom of worship is the freedom to come into this building right here and worship God as we choose. Freedom of religion is to do it anywhere in our country. It's two different things. But you're going to hear more and more that we have a right to freedom of worship. So what I want to explain that to you today, there's two different things. You need to know that when people say things to you, and they fire around saying that, oh, this, this is unconstitutional. This isn't right. You can't do that. You need to have the ammunition to say, yes, you can. It's not, it's not right what they're doing. So keep an eye for that. And when we talked about when I see the cross, I see freedom. And that's what these people had put this thing up for and uh, uh, sued to take it down. These are just a couple of things. I've got, I got a whole folder full of stuff that I've been looking at, and there's hundreds of other ones that are going on right now. So... Um, we need to be aware and we need to speak up and be willing to stand our ground against some of the things that are going on. Um, I didn't realize either as I was starting to prepare this message how things were going to change so quickly, um, especially in Georgia. If you're familiar with what, it's been almost three weeks ago, Governor Kemp signed what they call the heartbeat bill. Um, to limit the access to abortion. And again, we don't talk about this in any condemning way at all, but we just believe as a church that every human life is important and every human life um, deserves the same rights that we have. And I think we are starting to see, um, I'll put it, the battle's been engaged. Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Ohio, uh, there's other states that have passed similar laws, Louisiana. You're going to see this happen. And I love how the news, the media always portrays stuff. Whenever he signed that, it was a controversial bill. Why is it controversial? There's many, many people who think that's the right decision to make. 
it's controversial to not do that. And you see what's happening. I watched the news last night, the protests all over the place. See, there are other people, and that's why I wanted to bring that thing up in 1 Kings. The people can't, we cannot be silent. The other side is loud. The other side is out there. They're in your face. They're in everybody's face because they've got a different agenda than we do. Um, So, again, it goes back to uh, what we talked about. The reason I said about um, in the Declaration of Independence where they said we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think the things that are different this time, and in 1973 you're all familiar with the case of Roe versus Wade, which basically on a national level legalized abortion on demand. Um, This was an issue that should have been left to the states. The federal government should have never got into it. Uh, There's no right to abortion in the Constitution, I'm sorry to say. Now, I'm glad to say, I guess, but people who say there is, there isn't one. It's not in there. Every person has a right, the very first right to life to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness. How can we say that, you know, anything other than that? Um, Gosh. So it's happening right now. I mean, in the last, even Friday, Missouri just passed that law. Like I said, the the things change by the day. Um, You're going to see over the next year, two years, a tremendous battle over the right to life. Uh, that we have, if you look at what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years, um, the governments that have been elected in what we call red states, Republican, and I hate to, to do this because it's not a Republican-Democrat issue. It's not a conservative-liberal issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is a heart issue. Man, this whole thing is just, it's got to do with people's hearts and the culture of life that we need to promote in this country. And you're going to see a fight take place. Um, because the other side is madder than a hornet. You stirred up a hornet's nest uh, when you kind of go against them. So um, you're going to see a lot of things happen. The one thing I think that's important to know in some of these things, the, the I guess the tact or the strategy uh, with Georgia's law, with Alabama's law, with some of the other ones, is that the reason they call it a heartbeat bill is because it's going to outlaw abortion once a heartbeat can be detected um, inside the mother. So at that point, we're saying that that person is a person. Well, if you define a person in the womb as a person, as a person, they have rights. Because we looked at that, didn't we? And when we talked about the Constitution, that um, people have rights. So if we define that as a person, it's totally different And I believe that the whole thing could be the whole thing could be changed. Roe versus Wade could be changed, could be overturned. People say, "Well, you can't do that because it's settled law." I love this stuff too when they say you're not on the right side of history. I love when I'm told that, man, you're on the wrong side of history. Well, who are you to tell me I'm on the wrong side of history? (laughs) Maybe you guys are on the wrong side of history. Um, You you know, people think they're so smart sometimes. No, they're not. Um, I just, that drives me crazy when I hear that. <laughs> uh, we're on the right side of history. Um, we're at 2,000 years of history. Uh, Jesus Christ died for babies in the mother's womb as he did for you and I. He did that. Man. And I think, and I don't know if people shy away from talking about it. We can't shy away from talking about it. 
because it's out there and it's going to be in your face. And I think it's important to know the history of where we've come from and where we're going and what you have to back that up with. You've got it down in writing what the founding fathers did in this country. Our abortion laws are a lot more um, let me say, lax. I guess the, uh, other countries in the world have a lot stricter abortion laws than we do. Almost everybody. We're one of the few that have it where you can, and I won't even go into, I don't have time this morning to go into some of those things. New York State, some of the other ones passed. Basically, you could, you could have an abortion up to and including the time when the child's born. Come on, really? Who can believe that? I just, my wife and I talk about this a lot. It's like I, I listen to the other people and I think, how can they think that's right? How can they think that's right? It's not, a, it's not a, even a, a Christian thing sometimes. It's just how can they think that's right, that that would be okay to do that? Um, but there are people out there. There are states out there. Again, we talk about, and I, I don't like to compare or kind of be like a, a doomsday kind of thing, but the Civil War was fought over an issue of slavery primarily, and the church has led the fight against that. I believe that we're going to have, and we I don't believe it's going to be a civil war fighting each other again. But if you look at the states are coming together um, to say we're not going to, we're not going to follow that anymore. We're doing it different, and each state should be able to do it themselves. So you're going to start to see a, a clash, a battle. There's a battle has been joined over this issue, and I think it's really important for Christians to be involved in that. To be involved in that. Um. I hope I've been able to share a few things with you, not scare you or not what's going on. A couple other things that, um, gosh, one other thing, I just can't let this go either without. Uh, this was like a week ago, a week ago Friday. U.S. House representatives passed something called the Equality Act. That sounds great, doesn't it? The Equality Act. If you read what the Equality Act is, it now adds to the 1964 Civil Rights Act two protected classes. One is gender identity, and the other is sexual orientation. Again, we talk about, we, we, our doors are open to anybody here at Cornerstone Church. We do not prohibit and we welcome anybody in whatever your lifestyle is, whatever else. But we believe that the Bible sets down certain things for us to live by. This law that was passed by the House of Representatives is not going to go anywhere, but you've got to know what some of the ramifications of that thing are. They could, in effect, a boy at high school decides that he identifies as a girl, wants to join the girls' basketball team. Can't stop him. He can sue in federal court because you're violating his civil rights. Um, Christian school decides they have a certain code of, of I don't say ethics, a certain code of conduct that they had adhere to. Somebody comes in who is a, um, a, a, a transsexual and decides, I want to teach at your school, and you won't hire me, or you found out and you fired me. They can sue and because you're violating their civil rights. So these kind of things are going on. Right as we're speaking today, there are things that are going on that are trying to undermine the re religious freedom that we have. So I want you to be aware of that. I want you to go back. I told you to hold that place in First Kings. We're getting ready to close up here. Um, first, oh gosh, I forgot one. No, I got to do this one first, please. 
Uh, Luke, Luke 12, Luke chapter 12, before we go that real quick, Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. I tell you that whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. I think he says, but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Publicly, as Christians, we need to be out there in the front lines uh, letting our voice be heard. Publicly acknowledge that we believe in God, that we believe in the right to life. It's comfortable. It's not going to be somebody up in a pulpit that's going to do it. It's going to be all of us doing this together. Uh, you cannot rely on the pastor, um, Christian leaders, um, somebody else to, to fight this battle. It's going to be every one of us uh, sticking up and letting our elected officials know uh, what we believe and what we want. So now go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you know the story, you got to love Elijah. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. We're not going to read the whole thing, but he talked about the people. The people remained silent, didn't do anything. So Elijah says, okay, let's do this. We're going to prove out who's God. So we get a bull for each of us. You guys, 450 guys, cut yours up, put it on the altar. Don't light it on fire yet. So they did that. They got a bull and put it on the altar. And all the prophets of Baal started dancing around and hooping and hollering and praying and everything else. Nothing was happening. Fire wasn't getting lit. And so Elijah was kind of, I like, he makes fun of, really kind of says, what about your God? Maybe he's on vacation somewhere. Maybe he's asleep. He said, what about your God? He said, so that made him, I think, all the the matter. And they started hooping and hollering and running around the altar and trying to get it lit and couldn't do it. And it makes me think of the people today with all these protests that are just so loud and out and in your face and sometimes um, just making noise to make noise sake. Um, never get it lit. So it comes time in the evening, and Elijah says, okay, let's see who God is. And so they put the bull on the altar, and Elijah says, okay, let's make this a little bit harder. Why don't you guys get a whole big bucket of water, pour on the altar? He said, I'll show you who God is. And so they do that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, let's do it a second time. So they go get another thing, we'll pour it over the altar again, over the whole sacrifice, all the wood. He said, I'll tell you what. Let's do it a third time. They said there was so much water, they dug a trench around there, filled up the trench with water and everything. And it says that Elijah, I prayed in verse 37. He said, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You know, that's what I talked about. This is a hard issue. You know, we can talk about political things. We can talk about political parties. It's not that. It's not red state, blue state, Democrat, Republican. It's none of those things. It's a heart issue. And until we turn the heart of this nation back um, to where it originally started, um, we're going to find that people are out there that want to, and I'll put it, I'll say, take away your right of religious freedom. That's what they want. I talked about in closing that they talked about a freedom of worship, which is different than a freedom of religion. They would like us to do nothing more than to keep what we do in here. Don't take it outside. Don't take it out into the square. I titled this message, uh, Is Jesus Still Welcome in the Public Square? 
It's okay for you guys to do church, believe what you want to believe, do all your stuff, do all your music, do everything else, do all your preaching, have your Bible, don't bring it out of this building. Don't take it out to school, don't take it out in the public, like that football coach, don't take it out where somebody can see you, do it. Man, I tell you what, we have got to stand up against that kind of an attitude. We've got to stand up against that attitude. Just like Elijah said, it's a matter of the heart. So today as we celebrate and I think as we remember our freedom that we have, our religious freedom that we have in this country because of what the folks who died for us, um, their sacrifice, it just makes me think of that sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could have freedom as well. Not just live in a country like this, but to have freedom in our hearts, freedom from sin. So we never like to leave today until we give somebody an opportunity. Maybe today you've never uh, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you never accepted that freedom that he's provided. So we're going to have an opportunity. I'd just like you to close your eyes and just bow your heads for a minute. We're going to take just a, a short time. If you've never done that, experienced that freedom that these folks died for you uh, to have, that Jesus died for you to have, I uh, just want you to think in your heart today, man, I'd really like that. I'd like to let go of all those things that are, are holding me back, holding me down, uh, we can do that. So we're just going to pray together uh, as a congregation. If that's you today, I just want you to join along with us and um, ask Jesus that say, Lord, uh, come to you this morning with an open heart and an open mind. We thank you for dying to save us, to forgive us for our sins. Lord, today, we just ask that you would come into our heart to save us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, man. Thank you. If that's you today, man, let's give him a big round of applause. And I think that's awesome.